Welcome to FredNot with me, Rosie Bennett. FredNot is the podcast that aims to demystify the learning process that we all go through in our lives, work and otherwise. I'll be talking to the champions in our fields about the lessons that have defined their careers and help us to work out how we can learn from what they've already figured out. Nothing in life is a linear process, so let's get more at ease with the ups and the downs and realise that wherever we are in our journey, we really aren't alone. This podcast is brought to you by Augustine Strings, a company with real heart, a fascinating history and my guitar string of choice. Check them out at augustinestrings.com. Today I talk to Adam Nevin, classical guitarist, educator, activist and now a father to a beautiful baby boy. As a Fulbright Scholar, Adam has commissioned 30 new virtuosic works for the guitar, each of which are premiered on the Naxos label over four CDs. He's a passionate chamber musician, playing with violinist William Knuth as duo Sonidos, in guitar trio with the Great Nex, and with mandolinist Jacob Reuven, with whom his CD, Music from the Promised Land, will release on the 11th of June. Aside from playing, Adam is professor of classical guitar at both the University of Massachusetts, Boston and the University of Rhode Island. He also runs the non-profit organization Kithara Project, which empowers young people through free, sustainable guitar education and currently serves 130 students in Boston, Albuquerque and Mexico City. Adam, what is the lesson that's been the most meaningful to you? There's a, there's a few lessons, but I'll, I'll, I'll share a couple of my my favorite ones mm-hmm. uh one of them is humility in music regardless of the heights you achieve in your career i think remaining humble in your approach is always best and i re- i have a vivid memory and this is it might seem silly but it's always been a hallmark of humility in my mind, and humility takes on many forms. Mm. But uh, my, my longtime maestro from graduate school, and actually even an undergrad, Elliot Fisk, he's such a, a great man and um, guide and mentor and mm-hmm. such a leader. Mm-hmm. I remember in undergrad going to Boston from Chicago for some lessons, and I, I walked through the door bushy-tailed and wide-eyed. And I remember him just embracing me and doing the simplest thing, taking my jacket from my body and hanging it up in the closet. It was a moment of humanity and humility. Despite reaching the heights in his career, he was a gentleman, a mensch, Mm. a friend. He came off that, that pedestal to me, even though I still hold him... Uh, so dearly in my heart. Uh, and he just, he became, you know, another person in this world. And and, and I think that's a, that's a lesson to anybody, regardless of, you know, fame and fortune, that you can still be a, a normal person and, and care for your neighbors mm-hmm. and be sensitive, uh, um, regardless of their background or whatever they've attained in mm-hmm. this, in this world. I think that's just such a, hu- a great human trait. And the, the other uh, lesson I've learned is that um, in order to separate yourself from the pack, you have to find a way to contribute, to create a narrative that has never been created before. Contributing, sep- you know, separating yourself from 
the run of the mill. It, it, it's not denigrating what has been created in the past, but it's being innovative and inventive for the future of the instrument. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I, I, I think we fear is stepping away from the familiar and stepping away from the pack is scary mm-hmm. because we shine, we shine light on ourselves in, in ways that, that perhaps we've never, uh, that the guitar world or the music world hasn't seen before. Mm-hmm. And that, that leads me to an important point. In music, it, it's worth risking everything. We, we made a decision to walk the tightrope, and, and that's an act that inherently is chaotic mm-hmm. and uh, unpredictable, and we need to be bold. Mm-hmm. That's what being a musician is about, and you can do that as a teacher, you can do that uh, as a performer, you can, do, you can do that in many different ways. Walk away from the pack. Unpack the box. Um, think creatively. Mm-hmm. Risk everything. Because if you truly uh, risk everything in a positive way and believe in it, it will happen. Mm-hmm. Well, your life is uh, full of projects that have set you aside from the pack, but all of them involve invention and innovation in the guitar. Where did that passion for guitar begin for you? If you really want to track the DNA, back to the DNA strand mm-hmm. from which it came. It goes back to my family and how my parents inculcated a love for the instrument. Mm. We went to the Chicago Classical Guitar Society concerts together. I remember seeing all, all the greats. Mm-hmm. When I was so young, I, I didn't realize, you know, half the time who, the greatness that I was, that was surrounding me. But Definitely through natural osmosis, it filled me up with with music. Mm-hmm. Whether or not I wanted it, it was it was part of my my life experience from the beginning. I, I've always been extraordinarily curious, and I I think going back to my family life, my parents were always encouraging me to read, to write, to uh, communicate. Mm-hmm. Um, I was always creating art projects. I was constantly doing fun and exciting creative things, mm-hmm. whether it was music related or art related, mm-hmm. um, or I, I was um, very much into karate uh, from age five till I went to college. And honestly, if I didn't need my hands for my career, I would still be doing it today. Karate was extremely centering and also extraordinarily creative in the choreography of movements from one movement to the next, very much like uh, we practice with the left hand on the guitar mm-hmm. from uh, playing two notes, legato. Mm-hmm. Same thing mm-hmm. follows moving from one formation to the next formation and you, you sort of slither between movements. It's, it takes a lot of focus, uh, muscular control and, and confidence. Mm-hmm. Uh, many of the tools that, that we employ in, in music making. Mm-hmm. Then I think in college with, with Ann Waller and Elliot Fisk uh, mentoring me, they were, at every point, they were encouraging me to get out there and advocate for myself. And, and what did that mean? Playing in unconventional spaces, territories, prisons, mm-hmm. libraries, mm-hmm. Uh, hospitals, you name it. Anywhere that would would allow me to refine my voice. Mm-hmm. Because ultimately what they were doing is what 
I try to emphasize with my students, and that is cultivating your artistic voice. It's the hardest thing to do. Who am I <laughs> as a musician? That's, that's, that's the question we all ask ourselves. Mm. Um, who, do, who do we want to be? You're constantly reimagining yourself, constantly transforming, refining, cultivating, recultivating, whittling at your, your image, your identity. And I, I think in the process, I found myself really interested in so many different things. Mm-hmm. It became apparent that I could not divorce myself from the idea of sharing music widely, the democratization of the guitar, of classical guitar. Mm-hmm. And, you know, rather than, you know, in graduate school and even in college, serving the community was always like a side gig. You know, it was, um, it was like how, a means to cultivating my, my voice so I could carry it on the more formal stages, the ivory tower, so to speak. But what I realized is that that is my career. Mm-hmm. So I, I quickly realized over the, the, you know, graduate school, going to Spain, then coming back, that it, it was time to formalize that commitment. Mm-hmm. And that, that came in the form of, of starting a nonprofit with two of my very, very close friends, chamber musician buddies and colleagues, Matthew Rohde and Scott Borg. We created this organization called Cathar Project mm-hmm. that improves the lives of young people through the classical guitar. And it manifests itself in long-term sustainable programming um, in, at multiple sites. Uh, and this is all at no cost. We want to prevent there being any barrier to entrance. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's been a hallmark of my career. One of the most satisfying things, giving back to the community and seeing these kids, these young people be transformed is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. It's so satisfying, mm-hmm. as satisfying as getting up on stage and, and sharing music um, with the general public. Well, you are so busy and your work spans across a broad set of interests. How did you find yourself in that situation where you have so much going on? It's been something that um, I've cultivated and it's been a choice that, I, that I've made from the beginning because uh, I have many different interests and, mm-hmm. and I find myself constantly trying to push each one of these interests in my life further. And uh, I could never settle on, on one, but why not go after all mm-hmm. and, and push the limit? So... Uh, it's been broad, but it, pumping cylinders at all moments of time is the way I work. Mm-hmm. It's um, anything less. I don't know what I don't know what to call it. It, it makes me sulk, <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and and might it, it might drive other people crazy. Who knows? Mm-hmm. I mean, but I, I like the chaos. I, I like the the possibility of it all just bursting into chaos and and, and nothing working. Mm-hmm. But I think. When you sort of get to that stratosphere between oxygen, no oxygen, <laughs> that, that, that to me is that, that's, that's a high right there. Okay, well, it sounds like you're crazy, but I wonder, um, is that lifestyle at all pressurizing at any point? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, it, it, it's, there's tons of pressure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and it's, it's, it, it can be soul crushing mm. at times. And it... it the the negative of all of it, if you're not careful, mm. and it's really easy to fall in, into this loophole, is um, you can uh, you can start to prioritize a few things and neglect 
a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And that could be your personal health. That could be your mental well-being. Mm. Yeah, it can come at the expense of a lot of other things. How was your childhood in the framework of pressure to achieve? Did you feel pressure at a young age? Was there a lot of pressure to produce growing up uh, and to work endlessly um, and sacrifice a lot? Yes. Mm. Uh, my, my, my parents were extraordinarily involved in my, my life and my sisters, mm-hmm. both as just kids and as musicians. And that, that was tough at times. I mean, my, my folks would, or my dad specifically, would get us up at five o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. to practice. And, and some parents would just barf at mm-hmm. that idea. I mean, that, you know, that's like, I think there's, they call that helicoptering or um, mm-hmm. tiger parents. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I, you know, I won't lie. They, they probably fit that definition uh, for sure. I, I think they wanted to light a fire. They wanted to put the pressure on us because they knew the repercussions of not working that hard. Mm-hmm. And it's a delicate balance. I, yeah. I you know, now that I, I become a parent, like I, I, I'm meditating on how I want to educate my son. Mm-hmm. It's really tough. You know, and I do. And I, I remember, you know, pre dad days, um, my, uh, you know, parents would say, he's like, you know, I really wish my parents would have spent more time with me. A lot of people are envious of the fact that I had very involved parents. Mm-hmm. But I think there is a balance yeah. in how involved a parent can be. I mean, you can imbue a sense of love, but mm. can you go further? Should you go further? Mm-hmm. I don't know the answer. But, um, you know, my parents made that decision to go further. <laughs> Unrelentingly so. Mm-hmm. And, um, it, you know, it, it worked out. That definitely influenced yeah. Uh, my work ethic and wanting to achieve and, and produce. Mm-hmm. But I think ultimately I, I was just curious and I, I just have this unrelenting desire to create yeah. and cultivate mm-hmm. and share. And I like to give a little bit of my love to all those around me um, mm-hmm. in, 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 in part <laughs> and hopefully inspire a little bit. Well, what is a lesson that you would like to impart? What lesson would I uh, like to impart? The lesson of choice in a music career. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the beautiful thing about music is that you are creating everything from scratch, mm-hmm. from dust. Mm. From technique to music interpretations to concerts to teaching to sharing music with the community, you can do as much or as little as you want. Mm-hmm. For me, I have chosen the path of doing everything, everything, <laughs> <laughs> as yeah. much as I possibly could do, and mm-hmm. and, and and that's I, that's for me, yeah. and that's my my personal touch. Mm-hmm. I, I would say you need to make a, a career. Of, of, of things that you enjoy, that are fulfilling. And that takes uh, soul searching and that takes constant question mm-hmm. asking mm-hmm. and reimagining yourself. Um, but just realizing you're in the driver's seat, you're the boss. Um, and, and that's the beauty of this career is that you, you decide where you go from here. Um, so choice is at every single corner of the music career and I, I think rather than looking at that oh my god I uh, I have so many choices 
I, I would look, I would use that, I would harness that energy for having a blank canvas to do whatever the heck you want to do. Mm-hmm. That's the one thing I, I would like to remind those out there who are trying to make a career, who are making a career, is that all of this is up to you. You can choose to be an incredible teacher, decide to contribute to uh, the community in, in several different ways. You can be a chamber musician, a soloist. You can decide to leave music. Do I, 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 I tell my students, unless you are 100% in, don't go into music. It's too cutthroat. And, and if you have doubts, you'll tend to live out those prophecies. I think that's really good advice. How do you think we can alter the way that we treat the younger generation to instill that sense of choice in them? Something that we need to do as pedagogues, as mentors, as guides to the young generation is to provide all the possibilities, win, lose, or draw. One thing in this sort of politically correct world that we live in is that we want everybody to be a winner. And that's not reality. We are setting people up for when they don't win, they feel like failures. But in fact, when you fail, it is really, you're only pinpointing a moment in time in your journey towards a successful end. And in fact, it's, it's a bumpy road. And um, I think we're, when we say, you, you, um, you know, even if you got two points out of 10, you still won. No, you didn't. You didn't, you didn't win this time, but that's okay. You get up and you study again and you get to five points or you get to four points. You get to seven points. It's about progress. It's not about um, always being identified as winner. Um, uh, we, we live along a long uh, spectrum in which we are successful. It's not, there's, I think we define success so easily. It's, it's in black and white terms, but it's not. Well, I do think that defining success in other people and defining it in our own terms are two sort of different things. I think defining who is successful or not is very black and white, but it's much more difficult when you start to look inward. I was wondering, do you have any sort of key performance indicators for your success in your own life? And if you do have those, then would you mind sharing with us some of them? So what, well, this is this, a really silly metric of success, um, but it's, it's more of like a metric of activity. But if I, if I notice that my, uh, my inbox, either for my academic inbox, email inbox, or my, any of the email inboxes, if they're empty, something is going terribly wrong. Mm-hmm. I, I, I should have a bazillion emails and I should, I should never be able to get through all of them. To me, that's always been a very strong indicator of my productivity and my career. And it's funny, like in the pandemic, I, I, I think I have a picture of it somewhere, but across all, of, all four or five of my email accounts, there was a moment in time mm-hmm. where all of them were 100% cleared. And I, I'm pretty copious mm-hmm. yeah. and attentive to my, my email inboxes. Mm. I had this, this like panic moment. Mm. Uh, it was kind of scary. So that's like a stupid little like litmus test thing that I have for myself. Mm-hmm. Metrics, I mean, you could, it, it could take all kinds of forms. Um, it, it, you know, within my 
let's say performance career, how many performances I have on the calendar. Mm -hmm. Within uh, the academic world, you could measure it by how many students you have or the quality of the students. Mm -hmm. And this is a very sensitive subject, but like it's one that needs to be brought up, but uh, making a living. Income. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a pre- it, as a musician, it's a precious thing, yeah. and uh, th- th- that's a topic that nobody likes discussing. But uh, that is a nuts and bolts thing that is, can be a metric of success, as mm-hmm. musically pure and artistically pure mm-hmm. as we want to be. Mm-hmm. If we can't support ourselves, then that's also there's something yeah. wrong. But yeah. this is the one. This is the one sort of materialistic part of music where we need to copy or imitate the nine to five jobbers so to speak and be very practical creative you know frameworks for yourself to succeed economically Mm -hmm. because you know we want to be musicians here we want to survive so what does it take yeah other litmus tests you know with cathar project how many how many students are we able to serve at no cost for for me personally I, i dream that that's it's like that's a metric am i dreaming Mm -hmm. if i don't if i am not dreaming about sort of forward motion of of any one of these lines then i sort of start to wonder is like uh like what kind of roadblock have i hit here Mm -hmm. i think that it's it's that's where it all starts that's how that's how i know that um i'm being productive is if i'm dreaming and that Mm -hmm. and and that impacts every single facet of my, my 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 career so I, I, I would recommend, I would invite everyone out there to take that moment. Forget about the obstacles. Forget about what issues or problems or aches or pains you have. What do you want to do? Mm-hmm. What's, what's the dream? Mm-hmm. You know? And, 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 and start from there. And then mm-hmm. whittle your way backwards or forwards better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, and just place that first lily pad on mm-hmm. the pond and step on it and then go to the next one and the next one and and cross that pond mm-hmm. and uh, achieve and get it. Well, your pond is uh, obviously full of lily pads. <laughs> Anyone could walk over that pond and not fall in. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was wondering, how did you find your identity in your career and how did that manifest itself? I remember like, this. I think this maybe happened during the Siena years, you know, when I was like 22, 23, 24, 25, I don't know, early 20s. And I was wondering, I was like, when is it going to be my time? When am I going to have my like Adam Levin personality, my mm-hmm. Adam Levin identity? Mm-hmm. When is that going to shine? When are people just going to know that this is Adam Levin playing? Mm-hmm. There is no prescribed timeline. It's not like at age 20, you're going to have a personalized music identity. Mm-hmm. At 25, you're going to uh, have a professional career at 30 you're going to have your first cd or something mm-hmm. like that mm-hmm. i think we start to get scared when yeah. things aren't happening fast enough there's a natural progression with music and each and every one of us will carve out an identity on our own schedule not according to anybody else around us mm-hmm. uh, and that's what makes you unique One of the aims of the podcast is to try to break down the prejudices in not just the guitar world, but also in a wider context. And I'd really love to talk to you a bit about your Jewish identity, which I know that you're very proud of. Sure. I mean, I I am Jewish 
identify with that. People, when they see me, when they hear me, they uh, perform, they might identify the way I play as possibly being Jewish. I have no problem with that. That's, that's part of my identity. It's, I, I stand on the shoulders of those Jewish artists and citizens before me. And it's definitely part of my personality and my, and my artistic uh, persona. But uh, any uh, group, ethnic group or religious group or, or race, they, of course they want to be identified for, for who they are and understood in, in, in those terms, but um, not profiled, I, said, I guess, so to speak. When you start profiling, sometimes you, get, you, get, you go down some nasty mm. paths. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what are some of your favorite things about your heritage? Well, I mean, just the diversity of music that's been given to us across history from Jewish artists, mm-hmm. this, the, the inspiration I get mm-hmm. from the violinists to the composers. I mean, I'm just, you know, just thinking, of, you know, Gershwin, for example. Oh, my gosh. Some of the pieces that I played by him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tedesco. Tedesco was an Italian Jew. I mean, what a, what a, what a marvelous uh, composer for, for the guitar, but also his, his you know, his Emigration to the United States yeah. is—he's um, a, a hero. I mean, mm. he escaped uh, fascist Italy, made a, career, a successful uh, career as a movie and film composer, and also mm-hmm. a classical guitar composer. Mm-hmm. I mean, those—that's that, quite a feat. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, and then in my own way, I—I've I, been very curious about my predecessors, uh, my heritage, and that's what led to this new CD that's coming out, the music from a promised land. Mm -hmm. I wanted to see what the last, you know, 75 or a hundred years of Israeli music looked like and sounded like. So I cultivated a project around that and, and uh, recorded it and really went to the depths of all these different language, compositional Mm -hmm. languages and Mm -hmm. styles. And it really helped me personally weave together the fabric, which is Jewish culture. Mm -hmm. It was helpful in in my self-discovery is a Jewish person. Mm-hmm. Jews all across history, their dedication to the art is profound and, and they have a natural connection to music. Maybe mm-hmm. it's through common experience, mm-hmm. through repression. It was a way, it was an alternative way for our people to express ourselves when we sometimes couldn't mm-hmm. or not permitted to. Mm-hmm. And it was a way for us to sideline people who were trying to destroy us and to maybe foreshadow a more beautiful future. I think because we have this in, this ingrained sense of maybe perhaps like sorrow or sadness and um, perhaps even a little bit of protectionism, mm-hmm. we had to express ourselves in other ways. We had to be creative, innovative. And I think music was a platform for mm-hmm. us at, at all given points across history. They had I don't know, this internal flame to express mm-hmm. themselves. And, and, uh, and I feel that too. You know, I, I, I don't, feel, <laughs> I don't mm-hmm. feel oppression like my predecessors or, um, or, or, or the, you know, like somebody's preventing me from expressing myself. Mm-hmm. But I feel privileged because of what they paved way for in my life. Mm-hmm. I think it's informed me in, on, on how to express myself. Uh, finding the avenue for expression as a Jewish person is so very important because uh, throughout history, it's often been restricted or neglected. Mm. 
How do you think as a society we can better handle conversations around race and culture and oppression from a place of privilege? And how can we keep them going and growing into more nuanced dialogue? If you can get into the uh, mindset of not being bashful that you might not understand all the idiosyncrasies of uh, one's heritage or uh, gender or background, your sensitivity and openness to Mm -hmm. understanding will take prominence over the uh, over not knowing mm-hmm. my my gut feeling tells me that if you invite a conversation if you a- again go back to asking questions mm-hmm. you will receive answers and invite a conversation that will fill those voids and clarify anything that is unknown mm-hmm. the sustainability of all of it is also important the yeah. long-term implication of having continued conversation is that they're not faux pas Mm-hmm. That it's just natural. Mm-hmm. So I, I think what we run up against is that the, these barricades become created again, and then we mm-hmm. have to start from scratch. It becomes and it's weird. It's odd. It's not. It's not natural. If we can create a fluid conversation that doesn't disappear, mm-hmm. and new barricades don't reappear, then I, I think it, it won't be odd. Mm-hmm. It'll, it'll be just, it'll be a natural part of humanity. Mm. And probably the most natural thing, because we realize that this is how we're supposed to be able to coexist peacefully anyway. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know? It's true. Adam, what is a lesson that you're working on at the moment? Balance. Balance in my life. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, pre-pandemic, all cylinders pumping mm-hmm. all the time, running around wild, touring, guitar project, concerts with all my uh, groups just relentless mm-hmm. my mm-hmm. F- physical health just went down the tubes you know i was getting fat and mm-hmm. and and not eating healthfully and i you know that's just one extreme mm-hmm. and it's it's not necessary you just have to prioritize the things that will make you a complete musician and if you can balance your mind body and soul mm-hmm. you'll become the best possible musician i think yeah. because whenever you just Go after one portion of that, you're not in equilibrium with the rest. Mm. Aligning those is, is, is ultimately extraordinarily important to a sustainable musical career. So I, that, that one is, is pretty simple mm-hmm. um, in theory. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in practice, it's, it's very difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. the, other, the other lesson I'm, I'm working on right now is... Uh, just how to balance fatherhood, being a husband, uh, with uh, being a full-time musician, and mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. separating the professional and personal life as much as possible. Because all of us musicians know that there's a lot of bleeding between professional and personal, and it doesn't—you never mm-hmm. know where it begins mm-hmm. or ends. Yeah. So I—I—I'm I, I, trying to be very present and mindful of my approach to my career and try to achieve a balance between all the things I do and still achieve the same ends. I'll probably start focusing my practice more, Mm -hmm. getting those three hours of of practice or five hours of practice down to three Mm -hmm. and being really super focused. Yeah. Having a balanced approach going into your practice periods with objectives in mind Mm -hmm. and at the end, holding yourself accountable, Mm. taking some time to meditate in the morning 
or to step away from my work and spend quality time with my family, cook a, cook a meal uh, with my wife, uh, cook for her. It's a recalibration, mm-hmm. but it doesn't necessarily have to come at the expense of the amount of work that I'm doing. It's just mm-hmm. uh, prioritizing and being more efficient, mm-hmm. more aerodynamic. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been a really inspiring conversation. And uh, thank you for making time in your busy schedule, especially with your new job as a dad. Oh, I I, I, I feel great. I, I actually feel okay. quite serene right now. So <laughs> you've done your job well. <laughs> Dr. Bennett, yeah, checks in the mail. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Fret Not. Join me in two weeks' time where I'll be talking to Gerald Garcia about his experience with focal dystonia, humanity's obsession with loss, and how to live a full and more fruitful life.